0: Zach's your video here with Boston Speaks Up, and I'm here with Deirdre Sartorelli. Hi. How are you, Deirdre? I am
1: great today, Zach.
0: It's our second time hanging out, this time with a, with a hot mic.
1: Yes, that's yeah. right. Looking forward to it, though.
0: Yeah me, yeah, me as well. I realized last time upon our first uh, our first meeting, we could have just had a mic going then. We had a good flow going about the state of entrepreneurship Generally speaking, um, sort of with the focus on Massachusetts, but sort of what's happening here on the North Shore and specifically what you're doing here at Endicott College. It's quite impressive. I'm, I'm excited that we'll be talking a bit online and a bit offline together about some of the ways that myself and, and, and Boston Speaks Up can can play a role uh, in the entrepreneurial community that Endicott's looking to foster on the North Shore more broadly, which is which is really cool how you're working with students, but also working with and looking to pull in local entrepreneurs, but also help enable local aspiring entrepreneurs right. to uh, build connective tissue with with Endicott, uh, which is which is great. So why don't you tell folks a bit about your role here and then we can kind of um, unpack from there. You've provided some wonderful responses to sort of a pre-podcast uh, yeah. question and answer so, we did.
1: So uh, Revere Girl, born and bred and then uh, uh, was living in West Peabody for 30 years. Had done the corporate thing, worked for some tech companies. So I got Um, A big taste of entrepreneurship when I was working for Cisco Systems. So we were always looking at new franchises. This was .com. So everyone was building an application. Um, And I think the disconnect between what was going on then, say, in early 2000 and now is that it was the customer connection. People were just building without a whole lot of customer feedback. That's when I got bitten by the bug Mm -hmm. for entrepreneurship. Left corporate, um, had a real estate company on my own, was teaching here part-time at Endicott in a graduate program, teaching a course on entrepreneurship, and then um, was asked to take a look at the Center for Entrepreneurship here, which is um, our benefactors are Colin and Erica Engel, to take a look and see maybe could we take it in a new direction. And so in my mind, I thought that was going to be a year. Here I am five years later and having a ball.
0: That's wonderful. And so at one point, you know, as we've caught up a bit offline, you, as you were finding success in your career, you went and you built a home in Maine. Right. And so where was it in the timeline where you were teaching at Endicott and sort of building your home in Maine and then realizing, wow, there's this fantastic opportunity um, because it's not the biggest commute, but it's a bit of a commute to come from Maine to right. to Beverly every day right. but obviously you're very passionate about this so um, how like what was what's the timeline there like how long have you actually has Maine been home for you?
1: So for five years yeah. and so as I look back <laughs> on that now and it it actually for me it's like how you and I just met sure. right you kind of came knocking on the on the figurative door and said, mm-hmm. hey, we, we should meet and have a conversation about entrepreneurship. And so when I, when I started to do this, I started to meet more people like you. So when I take a look at the center here, of course, we're on a college campus. We're always going to be focused. Students are at the core of everything that we do. But then as we started to do more of that work, we started to get more community members like yourself saying, hey, what are you about and how can I help? Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I was just talking to somebody earlier today. As I see the center here, uh, the Angle Center for Entrepreneurship, certainly we're about educating students about how to be entrepreneurial. But it's also, too, about just how can we connect? Mm -hmm. Because I know the center here can't be everything. But I know if we take a look at the greater region and all of the entrepreneurial assets that are in the greater region, there is everything there. So let's make the connection happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can pull some things in, in terms of entrepreneurial resources, and then we've got our own things that we can push out into the community. So that's what gets me up every morning.
0: Wonderful. You and me both. I loved one of your responses you you spoke to, and it was towards the end, like what you're, like what you really aim to accomplish in the world, like your purpose. Like you have this beautiful mission-driven mindset to take what is otherwise referred to as like the six degrees of separation and just make it much easier and make folks much closer right. to each other for knowledge. And that's one of the reasons I came knocking on your door, like as a new Beverly resident and seeing very, from afar, perceiving there to be some pretty impressive uh, entrepreneurial initiatives here at Endicott, which I've since confirmed from meeting with you now a second time, yes. and I'm grateful for the time. But yeah, that that to me, and, and you asked a good question before the we went live, which is Who's the audience for Boston Speaks Up? And obviously, Boston and Boston Business Journal are, are you know wonderful partners for us. So that we—it's that audience, but it's it's that it's that audience um, in Boston that is really gravitates towards innovation and has an entrepreneurial drive and is looking to seek out the voices and the opinions of folks at different levels of their careers so that they can ingest knowledge and hopefully have like a little bit. More of a leg up right. in their in, in pursuing their purpose. In twenty years, so yeah, I exactly. Think about that.
1: So if it took me twenty or thirty years, well, I don't want that for my students or for anyone else that comes. Uh, we, let's compress that. And so, the way I th- I see entrepreneurship here on the North Shore, and even for the Angle Center for Entrepreneurship, it's like, how do we democratize? Entrepreneurship and democratized with a small D, right? So we're not getting political on this podcast. Sure. We'll save that for another time. Yeah. but it can seem for certain people like that's not me because either they're not seeing themselves or they don't understand where those resources are, but they still have really good ideas. And so the fun part, especially dealing with our student population here, is we have entrepreneurial ideas that run the total gamut from STEM ideas, apps. DNA, whatever that might be, to, hey, um, I have a grocery delivery service idea um, for organic chefs, or, hey, I've got an idea to help train people to run heavy equipment. Those are all entrepreneurial ideas, and they can make a really great living at that. So for me, here at Endicott, it's that full spectrum, and I never know when I come in every day, what kind of idea is going to cross over that threshold in terms of students. And even at the end of the day, if the student, if the idea doesn't fly, there's still a lesson in there. So it might be the grit, it's the perseverance. It's like, okay, so you thought it was this thing, but you didn't get enough input. So now you need to recalibrate and giving them the tools to recalibrate. Then that That's the
0: win. Oh yeah, I mean, more often than not, we need to fail so that we can identify the factors that are associated with failure, so that we can avoid them in the future. Right. One of the companies just alluded to. uh, Let's talk a bit, just because it strikes some chords with a particular close friend of mine that that, whose our podcast discussion will come out next week. But there's um, a startup that's helping bring local um, farm to local chefs. and really working out the, the local mechanics of the of the supply chain. That's so, correct. Yeah. So so speak speak about that that yeah, company Yeah, that's a Crop, bit.
1: Shop. crop so shop. Crop shops was started uh, by two students here two years ago, and I can tell you that where their idea is now, their product is very different from where it started out. Mm-hmm. But the whole notion is you've got these small scale farmers that are producing these wonderful organic fruits vegetables dairy produce and you've got on the other side you've got these chefs in these quality restaurants that want those things
0: yeah.
1: and there's a Local tremendous amount of table <laughs> totally and there's a tremendous amount of friction in the middle of that because the farmers are too busy farming the chefs are too busy cooking. Yeah. So uh, AJ and Cam started Crop Shop to take that friction out of the market to let the farmers connect with those restaurant chefs. They actually do the fulfillment, so they actually do do the delivery of that. Okay. And they're in their second year. You know, they've had a look a couple of times by Y Combinator, they didn't make the final cut, but you know, that's a startup out of Endicott wow. College. That's so pretty
0: impressive. So uh, I would love to connect with them. Specifically, I'd love to connect them to Josh Trotwine, who's the founder of Fresh Truck. And actually on the podcast yesterday for the first time publicly, and it will be out by the time our podcast discussion comes out, they're introducing Fresh Connect. Okay. And so Fresh Truck, they've since retired their first truck, Diane. Uh, they're on trucks two and three are on the road and truck four is launching in a week or two. And uh, it's essentially um, bringing fresh um, fresh, as much as possible local,
1: mm-hmm. which is
0: where there could be collaboration here, right. um, fruits and vegetables to uh, neighborhoods um, where families are in poverty and otherwise don't have access to fresh fruits and vegetables. And Josh has leveraged... Hub Week, and in particular, and just a, a, a strong, net, a strong network in Boston to work with the healthcare system, so that families can go, and healthcare providers are pro- providing, they're either subsidizing or entirely underwriting the the purchase of those fruits and vegetables to improve the health outcomes of people in Boston right now, and he's looking to you know branch more out of the city. And so it's really interesting, and he, he's consulting. When I was still living in L.A., he'd come out and visit, and we met playing soccer, and he'd play soccer with me, and we'd talk, and I'm like, so what are you out there for this time? Oh, I'm consulting with Sweetgreen on their supply chain mm-hmm. optimization and whatnot. And so um, just a beautiful um, but so uh, a lot of uh, social impact entrepreneur. Tons that, that, and tons of friction. Because yeah. you know,
1: you're a family, and sometimes it can seem this, again, almost gets to – democratization again right of yeah. good eating mm-hmm. and it can be it's hard mm-hmm. it can it's really hard to eat well and it's certainly expensive to eat well mm-hmm. too so yeah it's definitely synergy
0: yeah so, yeah the idea for him started he was working at a, a wellness like a, a local um, center in charlestown and the only local grocery shop, Johnny's Food Masters were all going out of business. Mm-hmm. I remember there was oh, sure. one in, in Somerville. Right. And so as he was watching the food go off the shelves and he was working with these fam, he was working with families they had like essentially they were going from little to no options and so they were like just leaning on things they could get at a convenience store and whatnot and he's like wow, like these families are going to like really hurt their long term health outcomes just based on the low cost, the only low cost food access they have. So, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack, more to unpack there, but I can see those, those two having a great relationship. One of the knocks that Josh will get, we didn't get into this much in the podcast, but I know one of the knocks he gets is that he doesn't, not all of the food he has is locally sourced. It's mm-hmm. very difficult, mm-hmm.
1: which is, is why it's
0: interesting right. to make these, have these two connect because, uh, it's its own problem. And so if the, you know, that's why that's again, why connections are so important because the it, it perhaps in complement, um, Fresh Truck can be arming some of his trucks with with a higher uh, density of, of locally you know local you know right. locally produced um, locally farmed foods
1: and knowing where to find it. Yeah, right? yeah,
0: yeah. Perfect. That's wonderful. Uh, so I want to talk a bit about the entrepreneurial drive that you that you have in your in the pre podcast interview questions. You had a really thoughtful answer, uh, sort of explaining the. How your mother and your father influenced you. Your father, uh, having been in, you know from Chelsea, which is actually where my father and his family are from, had been in the navy. Like just really taught you strong work ethic, which I'd love for you to expand on. And then your mother taught you about the importance of education, the importance of why. Uh, and I'd love for you to ex- expand on that. Sure.
1: Again. And so I, I reflect, I, I love that question because I reflected on it. And so for my father, you know, high school education, period. He didn't go to college, went straight into the Navy. Mm-hmm. But I can't ever recall a day when he wasn't working mm-hmm. at something. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, as a child, you're not cognizant of it. But then you reflect back on it as an Say, Oh, I get that. That's the, that's what a work ethic looks like. And my mother, for the same reason, yeah. would would talk to my sister and, and, and me about the importance of education. So you know, pu- we were educated in public schools in Revere I went to Salem State University for, for my uh, undergraduate degree. And it was always about your it, it was about self-sufficiency. If you have an education, you're always going to be self-sufficient. And then the other thing, which um, I look back on this now, and it was probably entrepreneurial on the part of my father, which was, hey, there's these things called computers. You probably should take a look and maybe study that and mm-hmm. so I did you know yeah. I was minoring in computer science when it was brand new yeah. and that laid the foundation for everything else So for that I'm thankful
0: yeah. that's wonderful It strikes chords with me personally because my father has never been a computer guy but was my mother was very engaged in our education yeah a bit more engaged in the actual subject matter. My father was always nudging me in the direction of Hey, we're gonna get you a computer. I remember when it was a big deal when he when we got a computer and he made sure we got in a computer. And I think his main thing to do in the computer was to play like the the 3D pinball game on right. it. But he was like, hey, like understand and and leverage this for education, which we did. And and he was like, you know, he didn't do it himself, but he's like, make sure you do the Mavis. Uh, Beacon teaching typing like I can remember all those programs that he was like, hey, this is going to be valuable for you, and then he worked for UPS and he was when he wasn't working for UPS, he'd be driving for Flightline or delivering bread, same thing. Like right. somehow working, you know, all but he the time. Gave the tools. Yeah. And
1: so I I teach one class here in entrepreneurship at Endicott, and so I've got these. Typically, are sophomores and juniors, and we'll we'll talk about technology, and I'll I say to them. In five years, this is all going to be blown up for you, mm-hmm. whether you like it or not. But again, it gets to have the curiosity to know when that next new thing is coming that's going to stick. Because it's yeah. really easy to yeah. squirrel shiny nickel yeah. kind of thing oh, right? Yeah. just chase. Yeah. But there's some things. And so I think for our students here, is trying to understand AI is going to infiltrate almost every profession. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would challenge someone to say, here's a profession that it, it, it won't be touching robotics, um, certainly analytics, understanding how big data affects everything. Yeah. So as long as they can have their feelers out to the landscape to say, hey, this is an important trend, I need to get on that. You know, a blockchain, we had a senior last year talk about how blockchain was going to affect accounting firms. Mm-hmm. And I, I learned so much from her thesis presentation. So... That's the other part of this job. I mean, there's not a day that goes by when some student doesn't come in and say, hey, blockchain, hey, um, look at this technical analysis on this particular stock where, where I'm not learning as well, too. But that tells me they've at least got their antenna up for the trends.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. You mentioned you also mentioned that in the, in the, the pre-podcast interview, the importance of learning being two-way, like in your role and like 100%. you're like, you have certain knowledge to share. And then you have a lot of things that students and the community shares with you and it's sort of like as frictionless as we can, as, as you and Endicott and we collectively can like facilitate that and then share. Right. Like sharing this conversation that's sort of i think that's why we align a lot on on things
1: the dirty little secret here at endicott is that those kinds of conversations it's like the fountain of eternal youth Mm -hmm. because it does it keeps you eternally youthful because it sparks your curiosity and i can tell you i could probably name on on two hands you know different kinds of topics or subjects i'm thinking about now that i might not have thought about as deeply if it hadn't been for a student to say hey
0: like this yeah, so let's talk a little bit, like in, like present, but and in into the future, some of the things that you're noticing, identifying here from students that are worth sharing with the community, and then, and then some initiatives that um, perhaps that you've already embarked on, but some aspirational uh, progression for for the center here.
1: Right. Um, so we've talked about crop shock from a. From a student perspective, a couple of things, um, and even from, we'll just call it sort of the Endicott ecosystem perspective, Uh, Rick Upton, who was our former entrepreneur, is doing this really interesting work out of Gloucester. As Gloucester starts to rethink what it needs to be, because commercial fishing, not what it used to be, Mm -hmm. Um, Rick and his team are focused on bringing the Internet of Things to the lobster industry. That's a really fun thing to watch. Mm -hmm. And the fun part about... um, The lobster men, uh, the lobster lobstering association, is they are as keen and um, desirous to understand the big data is any big data expert. They know that the lobsters and the money is in understanding this big data. Where do the lobsters go? So we're, we're mm-hmm. really curious around that. Um, someone else that was in our ecosystem, Ariadne Demoulis, she participated uh, with a partner of us, North Shore Innovations, which is located mm-hmm. here in Beverly. She and her mother and another business partner are focused on creating um, cup lids, straws out of cellulose, so that if it works its way into the ocean, Ultimately it disintegrates, so it's trying to take some you know plastic out of oh. uh, out of the waste stream into the ocean. So, her um, her company is actually out of Maine, but she comes down here quite a bit, and that's that's fun to watch. The other trend that we kind of stumbled across this accidentally, I would say. I'd like to be able to take credit for it, but I'm not. Is our students as they graduate? Not only are they working on startups, but they're actually going to work for incubators and accelerators so for example matt Schweitzer graduated from here three or four years ago and he's now the assistant director at greentown labs which is the world's largest clean i have i
0: have a friend in there in greentown right now and in uh, union square matt
1: was um, president of fuel which is our student entrepreneurship club got the bug um, his family has a construction business that would have been the really easy path for him to go into. And he's like, mm, I kind of like this. So he's at Greentown. Oh, wow. And then uh, Avery Sakura who graduated here a year ago with her MBA, was a communications undergrad, thought oh. she would probably go into wedding planning. Mm-hmm. Got involved at the center, became, became my graduate assistant, got bitten by the bug. And she's now working at Lab Central as their operations manager under uh, contract to Harvard Innovation Lab. Wow! So she's like right in the thick of things. Oh yeah! And so how fun is it now? Um, Because we Mm -hmm. get invited in to go, you know, and and of course now it's so much, it's so much fun as a professor to see your student in their professional setting, Mm -hmm. right, as as an equal. But they're they're like right at the hub of things. Mm -hmm. So incubators, accelerators. Students are getting some really nice jobs, and then the students are landing in either their own startups, or they're going to work for some really interesting startups, maybe in the life science um, piece of it. uh, Another student, Jessica Petrucci, is working at a company called Ixella, which is a life science startup, and they're studying the connection of your um, your gut health to your brain health and um, doing some important work there, too. So that's all fun
0: very cool what what it so any of those uh, entrepreneurs out of, out of Endicott that are sticking around the area mm. and also like generally speaking it has seemed to me that younger people and I would probably be the same if I went back you know 15 years and, and was in the position I'd probably go to the city but as and you mentioned this in your answers it's it's only gotten way more difficult way more larger, like the rents have only gotten way larger. Mm. It's never been a, there's never been a better confluence of, of factors leading to young entrepreneurs coming out of Endicott and actually sticking around the area. So I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts about fostering the North shore technology community? And I know you mentioned you went to Salem state and you have a relationship with Kim Driscoll, the mayor of Salem, and she's doing some interesting things. She's got in North going on. Um, just what are your sort of near-term and long-term sort of Hopes and plans and ideas that you have percolating for fostering even a more rich community here.
1: So, so I don't. I, Kim's doing some great things in Salem. Beverly's got some great things going on. Each year, uh, our Endicott students do a project with the North Shore Technology Council, mm-hmm. and we will pick a particular industry and study the health of. So the health of clean tech, the health of life science, mm-hmm. and whenever we look at that, we're certainly looking at um, numbers of employees incomes? Is it an inflow? Is it an outflow? And then what's what's the infrastructure? The goal of this project is to make the North Shore desirable for people to either stay, mm-hmm. coming from out of the colleges, yeah. whether it's Salem State, Merrimack, Endicott, Gordon, sure. staying here, or for employers who want to minimize their burn rate, mm-hmm. say, hey, Rents are a little bit cheaper here on the North Shore, mm-hmm. and I can just get on that train to get into Boston. So, mm-hmm. so we look at all those factors. And sure. as I say that, I, I think it's – there still seems like there's the Berlin Wall between mm-hmm. North Shore and getting into Boston. Mm-hmm. You don't know whether it's the physical infrastructure, getting in the commute, or yeah. people just think that's where you need to be because that's where the action – but the truth of the matter is you can be on the train and in Boston in, what, half an hour?
0: Yeah, I did for, it yesterday. Except, yeah. <laughs> and so, and so,
1: look at the California model. They wouldn't even think about it. <laughs> yeah,
0: and and and, they and it, even think part of it is that. the perspective of where you've been. I think it's increasingly, you know, Boston. Has always been a bit of a melting pot, but more so and more so. I think folks have lived in places like Los Angeles, like I have. So, where if I went anywhere outside of my bubble, as my wife would call it, on the West Side, it took me an hour. Right. So for and me to get a,
1: for that, you were okay with yeah, that. and
0: I was okay with it. And now I'm like, well, I can get, like my brother. Just great case in point. My brother is still here right now. I'm going to hang out with him. And my father after this, they're in Cooperstown. They went to the, the uh, mm-hmm. Hall of Fame this week, yep. and so he's visiting from LA, but from the area. And used to those hour plus commutes everywhere to go 10, 15 miles tops. He and his wife walked from my house to Montserrat train stop, went two stops to Manchester to go to Singing Beach one day. Another day they went into the city, they walked around the city, they came back. They took he took she took the train to the airport when she went home a few days ago, came back. It's the most efficient means to get it's actually a rather efficient means to get around. And I do think that there's certain there's certain outsiders that have identified the North Shore as like having those those like those um, unique transportation variables that not every area has. Like I do find the transit system to be underutilized. I talked about this with Chris Ilsley mm-hmm. from uh, North Shore Adventures a bit, and um, and it does seem that it's almost. Part of me, I'm a, I'm a marketer too, like by just my nature. So like, part of me is like, is it just being communicated enough? Just how simple this is. Like, it's actually the most direct means to get around. And when I lived in Somerville or Cambridge, like I ran into someone at Singing Beach the other day, who's a video producer in Boston, who c- commute from the North Shore to the city where he works is shorter than when he lived in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. And he commuted all the way to East Boston. And I'm like, yeah, I know, because I do the same thing. Right. And so it's so it's really it's really interesting. I think that that so I actually think the infrastructure is actually pretty solid train wise. Um, and one of the things that I talked about with Chris, I think we teased this out last time we talked. It seems like there's you mentioned Beverly, um, Endicott graduates going into the accelerator incubator type of realm. Mm. It'd be interesting to see some of those folks, maybe as they progress in their careers, maybe help come back and work with Chris and, and construct exactly. something adjacent to Endicott here in the area. Cause for me, I think it's as simple as a large structure that isn't just like life sciences, like they're doing great stuff in Coming Center, like Chris and his team. But that is more horizontal facing, and, and and allows many entrepreneurs with many different types of passions to have a home and Cambridge Innovation Center style. Like, can start small and grow, and then
1: it's a magnet, and so then and then it's a magnet, and then and then the money finds the magnet too, mm-hmm. because in the people with the money. Know where to go, and mm-hmm. v- and vice versa. to the mm-hmm. people who are looking for the money, I, I I do think that there is an opportunity, and also too, it it helps us refine our craft. So if we can do that here, and support one another, then. If someone decides they do need to make that kind of permanent leap either into Boston or even beyond that mm-hmm. you know they've got as good a chance as anybody It's almost like yeah. a perpetual mass challenge, right yeah How do you create the infrastructure around that locally so that when they are up for you know a big a big pitch in front of some big investors that they get the best shot at it possible Sure and we've got it here yeah. I mean, we do have it here and then you, know, you and i haven't even talked about it but aside from all the sort of the entrepreneurial infrastructure this is a great place to live you know great school systems easy access yeah. north west certainly um south as well too so whenever we do this project with the north shore tech council we always come out with you know there's a lot to be offered here mm-hmm. um you know maybe we could all uh do a better job, as you say, of sort of packaging it together and sort of, you know, um, yeah, just speaking loud and speaking
0: proud. Yeah, and I do think that there's a solid amount of people speaking loud and proud. It just seems to be a bit disparate, and like, and and pre- and a nice solid collective umbrella brand that everyone kind of buys into like chris is and i joked on on like he's like he's like i want to rebrand the north shore boston north and you know we were kind of talking about Inno north and right. he was like hey, i just want all these seemingly disparate organizations north for tech to all just be like part of like all level up to this master umbrella mm-hmm. and then there to be some level of underwriting toward like you know marketing activities and whatnot and like in not not too different a way that like hub week has built itself up and built up that that overarching brand such that you could discover all these like very you know, call them go. micro, right. but where where to go for you? Hey, there's everything like a you need here. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, like a navigator yeah. and like an engineering it or, or at least like from a struct you know from a website design structural standpoint, it'd be really interesting to make it a portal for people to like explore the area. So and it's hard I think for that's for really interesting. to find
1: that. So when I, mean, I, I and you're right, I mean that's pretty easy. So you've got in north, you've got NSIV, yeah. you've got Eforall doing yeah. really important work in in the gateway cities. Um, each doing its its own particular thing, mm-hmm. complementary to one another,
0: and all benefiting from and the all growth. Yeah.
1: so maybe that can be our next business idea. I <laughs> like it. I like it. I
0: like, I like coming up with business. I, this is what happens when we're just flowing. Um, so let's talk about some of the stuff you are doing now, which is raising the profile of the area. Uh, spark U. we've spark you yeah. so
1: Sp- this will be our third annual spark U, uh, spark University. it's a weekend startup boot camp happening in early November we open that up to the community we tend to have about 50 people come students college students uh, I open it up to Salem State to to Gordon high school students Great. we have people who are mid-career that said hey I'm tired of doing this corporate gig I've always had this idea for um, something to do on the side but I don't know how to get it going they come and um, we take them from ideation on a Friday night right through Sunday night to when they're pitching in front of some accomplished people to get to get their feedback. So that's happening uh, in November. In the spring, we have Spark Tank, which is our version of Shark Tank. We gave away $15,000. And then between those events, we, um, and those are the key of the Keystone events that we do. We do other events. We've partnered with an organization called the Spark Collective. Mm-hmm. That's led by Megan Fennell. Um, Megan is from the area and Spark Collective is like a hyper-local community for women. We've had a uh, workshop on women in finance, one on the future of work, and then uh, the third one that we did was women in sports. and those have been highly attended. Um, and we also do little pop-up events too, um, which are fun so we're we're pretty busy here um, all throughout the actually all throughout the year, but particularly obviously during the academic year
0: sure so so spark you. Spark University, is that affiliated with the Spark Collective or just happened? It, it
1: just, it was serendipity Yeah, yeah, just serendipity
0: um, I bring that up too because, and we'll have to talk we can talk more about this, like one of the friends that I t- spoke to not too long ago on the podcast was uh, Clement cazalot who's, he's the only Techstars founder um, to have become a managing director of a Techstars and so he's the, he's yeah. the, essentially the the chief honcho for Techstars Boston. Right. Um wonderful wonderful young man from the south of France and uh he one of the things that kind of came out of our conversation like we talked about it like live and then later he's like here you go here's who you talk to but he was like the start their startup weekend framework which sounds similar to spark you is like he's like take this to the north shore because we talked about it a bit and just i mean you already have like a strong framework going but just as far as like building connective tissue and perhaps like alignment with tech stars in boston clem has already said like whatever you're doing like you have like the support like here's my marketing person here's the tech stars startup weekend like coordinator for my group in this region of America and just let me know how I can help. So, you know, just as far as you know, we could take that offline, tech, right. but, but the, but the, the, the tech stars team and the, the capital that they tend, they, they did a lot of fundraising again this year between like May and July, mm. just stick, as you may know, it's a pretty heavy fundraising time of the year. Um, so just as it relates to kind of just taking spark you profile higher and higher, perhaps that's like some, another area of connective tissue. Well,
1: the good news is, um, and I mean, this in a yeah. great way we blow up the program every year. So I treat the center oh, cool. like a startup yeah. and, um, we're always either doing an iteration. Sometimes we do a pivot. So we blew up SparkU last year, um, and it had to be something completely different than it was the prior year. And we have intentions of, of doing the same this year. So there may be some common ground for us to talk on, uh, talk about with that. One of the other projects we're working on right now with the International Business Innovation Association, I have to get that name mm-hmm. right, INBIA, <laughs> is um, an e-book on how to create centers for entrepreneurship in emerging urban areas. Mm-hmm. So um, Detroit would be sort of a classic example and you know they're doing great things, but there's other cities and towns that have either lost their primary industry due mm-hmm. to obsolescence or offshoring. So how do they rethink themselves and how do you create makerspaces, incubators, accelerators? Mm-hmm. What are all the different pieces of the puzzle that you you pull together to make that happen? So we're just wrapping up that project now that should be getting published in the next month or two and there were a lot of aha moments in there in terms of even doing our own self-inventory saying okay you know you certainly need to have entrepreneurs like yourself involved as mentors and coaches but you need to have associations with foundations like we've got a great association with the Cummings Foundation you need to have that philanthropic support corporate support and then the whole government Support mm-hmm. too, right? Either through tax incentives, you know, the government, local government, state government has to be on your side too, or they have to get out of the way, frankly, right? Yeah. But to make that happen, and so that's been that's been a really interesting project. Um, Lynn's doing some great things, mm-hmm. right? If you if you think of how Lynn is is Just, rising because yeah. it certainly lost its yeah. primary shoe industry years and years yeah. ago, and you know, GE is figuring out what. GE needs to be as well. So, Mm -hmm. and along, certainly along the uh, Linway there, you know, there is great opportunity. And that's even Revere, you know, Mm -hmm. with this kind of circles back to how Mm -hmm. we started this conversation. Mm -hmm. I look at any of those gateway cities to say, wow, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of potential there. Mm -hmm. You just have to have the building
0: blocks. Yeah. I recently went down to Everett. So like my family's from Chelsea, a couple of my uncles have moved very far to Everett. Uh, and so I you know, I go to Everett and I've, you know, I've been going to these areas my whole life. And it's really interesting to be around that area where um, Teddy Peanut Butter is. And like obviously Night Shift Brewery has been around a while. And so people kind of know that. But there's like there's other like there's like new startup distilleries and, and, and other breweries and, and restaurants in that area. And it's just it's it's really um, there's all these little vibrant uh, there's more vibrancy that right. come to these um, Boston adjacent communities, uh, which is really promising. And, you know, I think speaks to the speaks, you know, volumes to the way that greater Bostonians in general, like are always have this ability to work hard and like reinvent itself. It gets uh, back
1: to grit again. Yeah, right. it does. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, okay. So this didn't work. Yeah. Well, we have to re- rethink ourselves. I mean, yeah. even look at, um, so you're a Beverly resident now. Yeah. Coming Center mm-hmm. here in Berkeley, right? That used to be the United Shoe, mm-hmm. and the way that's like a little tiny metropolis in and in and of itself. Yeah. So not only is like a, a small medical complex, yeah. but legal. It's, you can yeah. uh, childcare, restaurants. Too.
0: It's two miles from my house. I joked about this with Chris, and then when I got there, it was another two half. Miles, a, right. It was another half a mile right. to ride the length of the building to where Chris, where right. Chris's office was. I couldn't believe I. I'm like, wow, this is enormous, and they alone have twenty thousand square feet.
1: And there's a because all the entrepreneurs that are in that's what that whole place is about yeah. really is. Entrepreneurs, by and large, I mean there's some big companies in there too. So those kinds yeah. of opportunities, you know, they you could look across the country, and there's they are there are those opportunities for places to yeah. rethink themselves.
0: One of the other things I love your thoughts on is sort of, and you you, you spoke to this a bit in your in your pre interview answers, and we talked about a bit last time, but folks that are for whatever like they've gone th- through life and they didn't take what some would call a traditional path they didn't finish high school go to college and they're in a position where maybe continuing education mm-hmm. is difficult financially but they want it um you know they personally want it but maybe financially they're you know they're afraid if it's worth if it's worth the investment I'm curious what your thoughts are on ways to sort of help create pathways for that forgotten almost majority of folks that could use um, connected tissue to a university like endicott that is so progressive and it's and it's not just it's entrepreneurial spirit but it's actually entrepreneurial doing um and are you know they're like what can you know if boston speaks up listeners That, you know, one of the things I am trying to do is to, to market Boston speaks up to more communities that aren't already like in the innovation and tech world, Mm -hmm. like try to market it to the Merrimack Valley and try to market it to like, which I'm from, you know, I grew up in Methuen and just, you know, I've been communicating with some chambers of commerce where it's like, Hey, I'd love for this to be something you introduce to younger people, but also like folks that are, um, you know, seeking out continuing education because it's hopefully going to share some lanes of opportunity. Uh, so just curious if you could speak to speak to that a little bit.
1: So we have a campus in Boston, Endicott does. And when I think of uh, the, the, the demographic that you just described, I think for them, it's about just taking that first step mm-hmm. and knowing that they can take that first step. And it doesn't have to be a hundred steps all mm-hmm. at once because their time doesn't allow for that. They've got family concerns. They may be working a full-time job. So, so how do you do that? So we at Endicott have, um, through our Van Loan School, the ability to, t- to take those incremental steps. And I think part of it is offering programming that doesn't have a tie-in to say, look it, you don't have to register for course right now. Just come to Startup Weekend, mm-hmm. or just come and watch Spark Tank, or just yeah. come um, for a hackathon. Okay, you don't know how to code, but just come and see some people who are doing that, again, to demystify that. And curiously, you can kind of start to hook people because Mm -hmm. they say, okay, I can see myself doing that. Mm -hmm. And then it's not that much more to say, okay, let's take that first step with a course, if that makes sense for them, right? And Mm -hmm. then I, I would say, though, educational institutions have to build the infrastructure around that taking of the course so maybe it is child care or mm-hmm. you know other things yeah. like the other amenities around that to allow for that but i think that's that's part of it and mm-hmm. sometimes coming right out of high school college isn't the right thing for mm-hmm. someone to just jump into maybe they should get some work experience and then come back and they make great students i've taught people who are in their 30s 40s 50s veterans have done two or three tours and i will tell you that they are challenging in a wonderful way as students because they're bringing back experiences that a 20 or 21 year old can't just because they they haven't had that runway in in life but their brand of entrepreneurship is as authentic as anyone else's so maybe it's they want they aspire to open up a daycare center Mm -hmm. or a bodega Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship yeah. make a great living that way, but we have to kind of teach those skills, right? We were talking earlier about go-to-market. Okay, if you're going to open up a bodega, who are your customers going to be, right? And how are you going to appeal to them? So I think there's different ways of, of doing that, and I think it can just be an incremental, not these broad, sweeping motions.
0: Yeah, well said. When you look forward, say, five years from now, what crowning achievement for this particular Center, this particular entrepreneurship uh, center would that we d- that isn't hasn't come to fruition yet, you know, aspirationally is sort of a, a goal of yours for like Endicott to be known for. Yeah, like what's that big picture? Like, what's the um, perception that you want folks? from afar to look and and see like is like that new crowning achievement of all this work now you know if you fast forward five years so we're a division three school okay so for
1: any athletes yeah. in your audience they understand yeah. what that's about and so when i think of the analogy yeah i want to be known as one of the top tier division three schools for entrepreneurship so that's the big vision right that's like the national vision great a couple of years ago endicott's known for its internship program mm-hmm. and a couple of years ago it was mentioned in the wall street journal we were we're number two in the country for our internship program of any college or university. I want that to be true for our internship program. So the Princeton Review comes out and they grade colleges and universities on a bunch of different things. They also look at colleges that have the best entrepreneurship programs. Mm-hmm. Our program is growing, and I want in five years to be making the top ten. Right? Mm-hmm. That's a big aspiration for us. But if I were to kind of ratchet that down, if someone says, "Hey, um, you know, where are the entrepreneurial things happening on the North Shore?" If the answer is, "Hey, check out Endicott," yeah. that's you know, that's I think a reasonable win in five years. And we welcome everybody. And like I said, as we were talking at the top of this podcast. We may not have the answer here, but because of the ecosystem that we have, like people like you, North Shore Ventures, we should be able to point and say, "Okay, yeah. you know, you need help on intellectual property. Yeah. I'm not a lawyer." But yeah. we know some good ones, right, and yeah. be able to point you out. Here's
0: a patent that's law attorney. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. That's exactly right. So, and and that's really. It's what
0: actually been. one of my best friends. Is he oh, flew, so he flew we, in for my daughter's we birthday talk last week. We need so, to talk. anyone need one? Oh, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, seriously, he because, used to work for the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, uh, United States Patent and Trademark Office, and now he's private.
1: Oh, excellent. And his All wife right. works
0: for the Department but of Justice. This, <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll take we'll, we'll, we'll take this offline then. Okay,
1: for me that would we'll be that would be sort of the near term win entrepreneurship. Endicott Great. on the North Shore. And then um, I do want to continue to, as I think about this, building out certainly stronger ties locally too. Mm-hmm. the very select organizations. Um, we've got an affiliation with the Mass Technology Council, like the MT MTLC, I could be um, off on, the, on that acronym. But even at, on a national, we just want to be selective in who we do our associations with and, mm-hmm. and do them well.
0: Yeah, do you see any opportunity for a large, vibrant, like incubator co-working space on like Cabot or Ventool? Yes. So do I. Yes. Like, what, I, I'm like happy, why
1: isn't that? No. I'm
0: happy that there's like three no. and maybe soon five breweries, and right. I, you know, like no, like no, the, no, how yes. social they are, but can we not make that happen? Yes. That to me seems like the no brainer, especially given. And that's one thing that Chris, it's slightly North Shore. No ventures is a bit away from the trains. Like they have a shuttle now where like the coming center is still well positioned, but like what's best positioned is like that. And there's some real estate there to play with. And, and I, I mean, I know it's been played, it's being played with right now and right. things, like, but that to me seems like, and I don't know if you have a, uh, you know, Cahill's ear or whatnot. And like, I don't know what plans there are, but to me, you want to talk about creating a magnet, like, and for whatever reason, and I have a friend pretty high up in the kind of like a North in a senior position, Northeast senior position for WeWork. Mm -hmm. And they're focusing on other parts of the 128 belt more, um, more toward Waltham with Beverly and Salem on the list. But Years all the from apartments now. that are being built in
1: Beverly—that's what, makes like sense. the
0: housing's there. And I'm thinking of WeWork's profit and loss, and how they're like We Work and we live, and the importance of like. So I, I feel like there's a strategic opportunity right. right now to beat WeWork to Beverly in particular. And I happen to know they're not popping in the next year, and they have nine new WeWorks they're opening, and none are going to be in Beverly or Salem, which I do find shocking, but I also find to be an opportunity and. While I love what work bar means and in and, and kind of the you know, the direction work bar is in in, in Salem it's pretty modest mm-hmm. for what the actual grand community actually needs um, so yeah so I'm, i that's another thing I would love to I would love to work I talked to Chris about that too but just have you... heard any rumblings there is that like i have how would you even begin because to me that just seems like that could really transform the area in a way that i think a lot of people probably outside of tech and innovation culture may not get but to me you want to not to say that the community isn't a magnet and there's plenty of businesses that seemingly do pretty well although many have seemed to turn over well, if there's many people, 42,000 that live in Beverly, um, you want to, like, there's new, these new apartment buildings coming in. Well, are they are going to leave during the day because they're going to go work somewhere? Or are we going to create, like, a strong co-working incubator accelerator vibe? Uh, and I, I just, I was so immersed in those um, models in the 2012 to 2015 timeframe in Los Angeles, and I could just see how it would be transform the area and i i hope i don't have to be a part of it or not i certainly would welcome being a part of it i just hope that something like that happens absolutely you you think of
1: the future of work and how work is distributed by that i mean certainly not having to go hopefully to a brick and mortar every single day Mm -hmm. so a place like that would be perfect Mm -hmm. i had a friend who um her husband is a maker and they don't have space in their condo in beverly for him to do that a place like that would be perfect as well, too. So I think to your earlier point yeah. of having it be horizontal, not just tech focused, but being yeah. able to appeal to yeah. um, whether someone's just heads heads down on a laptop or someone that needs a little space to be making. Yeah, makes sense to me.
0: One of my best friends growing up, it's we had this beautiful picture from the weekend. So my daughter turned two. there's his daughter. She's four. My other buddy's daughter, she's one. we all known each other since we were four. And there they nice. are playing in a little kiddie pool in my backyard. I'm nice. like, wow, this is beautiful. Yeah. My my buddy, Mark, he works for Fidelity. And he's just, he's always challenging himself in new roles. He's held, he's held some senior digital marketing positions at Puma, Reebok, CVS, Kaspersky Labs. Now he's at Fidelity. Part of his role is like reinventing brick and mortar for Fidelity. Mm-hmm. And he could work from home five days a week. He chooses to go in a few days a week because he wants to build strong, connective tissue with folks at the company. Uh, But he'll co-work with Fidelity colleagues at Atomic on Cabot. And, you know, one of the things I've been a bug in his ear about, I'm like, dude, because Fidelity is he's told me enough that I know Fidelity is interested and I bring them up because of their, you know, this would be essentially just good marketing for them, if, if if not also some a place for their employees to go. But you find the right company with, you know, they have a high concentration of employees on the North Shore, and you create like have a fidelity underwritten structure, right? And it's fidelity branded co working space. Uh, right. But allowing some flexibility and nurturing an innovation in economy—that's a really interesting and good look, I think, for Fidelity. Um, I think it's a bit off from exactly where they're going, but like that, to me, it'd be really interesting to identify the right big brand. And there's some big brands in Boston. You got Wayfair, you have Tripadvisor. Right. You have these interesting companies where it's like, huh? It, it even Dunk, Dunkin' Donuts, you know, they're, you know, I have some friends that work in their their corporate department. It just, it seems to me like it's. A good um, exploration away, and and solid maybe sales effort to like find. All right, who would actually benefit just from their building being in this area? You know, marketing marketing its brand to folks, and then on top of that, having a place for its its employees to congregate and fostering an innovation community and building connective tissue to a talent classic talent pool that could eventually work for their business. Right. So it just seems to me like that could be a pathway. Um, who knows?
1: It's almost yeah. when you think about it, that kind of model is almost like going back in the Wayback Machine to some, if you think about how companies started, right, but getting back to the roots. I look at the popularity of these um I'll call them open-air malls, like mm-hmm. in uh, Linfield, the Linfield
0: Village oh, Market Mar- uh, Market, yeah, Market Street? Market Street. Yeah, right? but,
1: but, and, and you build um, it. Beverly's yeah. getting one as well, too, so it's it's almost, Right by my
0: house. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's
1: a little bit yeah. retro yeah. in a good way, and I think... And what's
0: old is new. What's yeah.
1: old is new. I think what you've just described is a little bit of that way, too, where it's like, okay, it's bringing it back to downtown, mm-hmm. right? These downtowns got decimated over the years, Beverly's doing a great job as you pointed out of kind of coming back, but there is that element that's missing and you could build it to scale, but you don't want to build this big thing and then have it be, you know, 60% vacant. I'd almost rather have it be oversubscribed and say, Oh, you know, you know, and that would be a great problem to have. It's interesting.
0: Yeah. yeah, Thanks. That's good to hear a playback feedback on that. um, That monologue I gave on it. Like I I just see an oversaturation of uh, businesses and more and more homes but not enough like brick and mortar structures dedicated to the what seems to be increasingly the, the, um, the modern you know, citizen employee of the tech driven labor market. Right. And so it's, we need to either lift up and create an infrastructure for actual where people will work so that they're, you know, more hours of the day around to spend money at coffee shops and restaurants and and whatnot. So they all kind of need to grow in tandem. So it just seems like it's, it's only a matter of time.
1: As you were just speaking, you got me thinking too. So the more you get people being in the downtown the more they're going to start to care about civil matters mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. right? Which is, because it's easy to, you get in your car, you commute or you get on the train, you commute yeah. in, and the, the, sort of the, the in-between, it's out of your mind. Yeah, it's less personal. You, you come back yeah. home, but if you're, you know, working in your downtown, um, yeah, um, certain issues are going to, you know, come yeah. and be forefront in your mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's where it becomes like a big, civ- you know, a big opportunity for the city, so for local officials. I mean, obviously yep. we talk about it's, could be better, and then it's advantageous to brand. So, all right, we'll add that to the list. Okay, we've we could, got a list. We could do. I we came do.
1: here with a list. Now yeah. my list is bigger. I know we have a bigger <laughs> list.
0: Um, so th- this has been wonderful. The, the, the last question I always enjoy asking, and sort of with all the initiatives that you're a part of or privy to, just curious, like what's a big, um, what's a big issue facing the world right now? that we haven't talked about, um, or maybe we scratched that a little bit, you know, cause it could be like keeping plastic out of the oceans is, is, mm-hmm. could very much be your answer, but what's like a big, um, you know, personal initiative or issue that you see in the world that you'd love to, or that you are, or you'd love to work with entrepreneurs on helping solve. Oh.
1: Attention management. Hmm. It's hard. Mm. It's hard. I mean, I'm sure as we've been sitting here, you've probably gotten 20 emails and maybe five texts. But I say attention management, certainly for entrepreneurs, because I think as part of the DNA is thinking about that next thing. Um, But let's, let's even take entrepreneurship out of the mix. How do you and I manage our attention so that when you're in front of me, And your podcast listeners can't see this, but I put my phone Mm -hmm. down, Mm -hmm. right? And you've got my attention. A couple of weeks ago I was in my office in a meeting. My phone rang, and the person was almost like getting agitated. Well, aren't you going to answer that? Aren't you going to answer that? And I said, no, you have my attention. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like when I said that, it was a shock to that person. Yeah. but I think if we can do attention management in simple si- situations like that also, but too, in, just in terms of larger discourse, take time to listen, make sure that you understand, you comprehend, repeat it back. I think we'll get better results all around, whether it's in business or, or just regular personal
0: life. I love that. I, I had some of the best sort of reaffirming Feedback. Like I, it's something I've tried to focus on over the years, and I got this amazing feedback from a partner of mine. I actually met them at a CES in Vegas three years ago, and we've worked together for almost three years since. And they said to me this past January in Vegas, "You know what? You know what we love about you, Zach. You're present. Like when, when I'm talking to you, like you're all there." And I was like, "Oh wow!" And so one of the things I've taught we ta- I talk to my wife about this all the time because we l- really limit like screen time and TV time, and we want to raise her to be present. And so that's a really interesting answer. Um, And it's like a rare answer. Like, it's easy to just say like, oh, like climate change or whatnot, which there's all these, you know, food access and whatnot. But, uh, but yeah, you watch things like Black Mirror and now, you know, HBO has years and years and you kind of see these like um, these potential future states that we could be in where young people have increasingly just had their attention diverted in a million directions. It's scary. Uh, so I think it's 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 valuable our generational responsibility is to sort of like really teach the importance of like simple things. So, pre, you know, being present in the moment is a big one. We teach our daughter and humility, you know, grit, hard work, right? Like all all those things. It's like you know what? What's old is new, and we, you're going to go and you can you can learn computer science or my, right now I, my daughter's really big on like checking our heartbeat with her, with their you know you want to be a doctor be a doctor you can be all the things you want right. to be, but like, you know, be humble, be kind, like work hard. Right. You know, like those are the skills that are going to help you be successful. You can go learn any hard skill you want. And then if you want, you can go and switch what hard skills you learn. but master the soft skills. And so I think that's really, that's really, that's a fitting way to, to, to end things too. And you're uh,
1: teaching her well, Zach.
0: Thank you so much, Deirdre. This My is, pleasure. This has been a pleasure. Yeah.
1: Same here. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you for having me.
0: Oh, it's been a pleasure. Che- uh, cheers, Boston.